Recently, in the last couple of years, new company listings in public markets have been a bit in the doldrums. There just haven't been very many IPOs for 18 months, two years. We had a huge tech boom over the course of the pandemic. Uh, There was a lot of money invested into private tech companies that were all chomping at the bit to go public right at the moment when the market crashed. Interest rates rising, uh, inflation causing problems for companies that don't make much of a profit, which was a lot of those private tech companies. That's my colleague Tim Bradshaw there. And in the last few weeks, that excitement for listing publicly seems to have been potentially rejuvenated. And that's thanks to one British company called Arm. Now, you may not have heard about Arm until now, or until this IPO news, but this company has played a massive role in the semiconductor chip industry over the last several decades. Here's James Ashton on that. He's the author of a new book all about Arm. We think about a chip as a very, very small, maybe um, the fingernail size, and very, very flat. But actually, chips over time have stacked up and up and up. It's the classic problem in real estate. If you can't build out, you build up. So if you're building a, a skyscraper or an increasingly complex device, you need a really good architect. And Arm is the architect, essentially. So the Arm's secret source is an instruction set architecture. Now, Arm's current owner, the Japanese tech conglomerate SoftBank, is the group that's looking to take it public. A lot of other tech investors and bankers are watching this deal to see if this means we are back and that tech listings are open for business once again after a considerable time waiting. And there is a a lot more companies wanting to go public. The proposition sounds exciting. Arm designs chips for the world's biggest tech companies. Apple, Qualcomm, Google. Then there's the booming market fueled by AI hype. But when the company actually lists, will that translate into real success for investors? I'm Michaela Tendera from the Financial Times. Today on Behind the Money, we're bringing you a special bonus episode about the impending public listing of the British semiconductor chip designer, Arm. It's a live recording from the FT Weekend Festival, which took place at the beginning of September in London. For this conversation, I invited two Arm experts to join me. First, there's my colleague, Tim Bradshaw, who's the FT's global tech correspondent. And second, James Ashton, who's the author of a book about Arm that's out this year called The Everything Blueprint. We talk through what we know about Arm's position as a company right now and what all that could mean for investors when the company lists publicly this month. Starting off here, I asked Tim about Arm's recent F1 filing. That's the document that foreign companies have to file with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission when they want to be listed on an American stock exchange. It's where companies have to share details on things like their profits and ownership structure. So we just learned a lot about ARM through their F1 that they filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission in the U.S. um, just at the end of last month. What were the most interesting things that you learned from looking at that filing? The the number that jumps out uh, to start with is that 99% of the smartphone industry uses arms products i mean there are 99 percent. 99 percent. so i mean i asked the one percent i don't i don't even know i mean i you i haven't found that out yet i still haven't found that out i um i mean there is one of the world's most ubiquitous consumer products 
um, one of the world's most profitable consumer products for a company like Apple. And ARM has a effective monopoly in in the the chips design for this space, yeah. which is which is really quite remarkable and, and a testament to the endurance of a of a technology that was was born in fairly humble beginnings three decades ago. And um, that's both uh, a huge boon to them, but it's also the biggest challenge for them to present a growth story to prospective investors in the stock market listing because the smartphone market is not growing right now. Yeah. Um, and it's a little bit hard to see where, where they can grow from 99%. Yeah. And how, so, are they, how are they doing financially right now? So the revenues are basically flat year on year. Um, and in the most recent quarter, actually, profits were down by about 50%. Um, so it's for a company that's trying to list, uh, you know, with revenues of $2.7 billion in the year to March at a prospective valuation of 50 to $60 billion. That's quite a big ask when you're not showing any growth. With such a massive market share and yet not necessarily blowing people out of the park with their financial performance, what's happening? What, what, what's going on with their business model that this is, this is the case? So they do, they do, uh, they do address this 99% in, in, in the document. And I would say to fill in those intervening years, which might be helpful. I mean, the company as founded uh, basically had two end customers. One of them was Apple. One of them was, was Acorn. And the management that, um, that led the company realized pretty quickly, this is, a, this is a venture that's going to run out of money and we can't just serve two customers. So they went out looking for all these new markets. And the one that really cracked open for them was, um, well, feature phones, I suppose we call them, or dumb phones. So the the relationship with Nokia, um, which began about 1994 and led to um, a phone being launched in 1997, which is the Nokia 6110. I hate to give all the, the logs. It's the first one with the snake in it, basically, if, if, uh, if, if you remember that. That was an absolute game changer for them. And that is the, the growth on the back of which they, they floated in, in 1998. And then to go out, so, so they've always been the smartphone company. They went from dumb phone to, to smartphone. And since then, other areas they talk about in the IPO document now, they're in, um, they're in cars because cars need um, assisted driving. It need, I mean, cars are computers yeah. on wheels, essentially. They're in a lot of um, comms infrastructure. Um, uh, they're in the data centers and, and all sorts of areas. So in terms of growth opportunities, they say, they actually say we have got 99% of smartphones, but um, a certain, quite a big chunk of that should carry on growing, they think, at 6 to 7% because you need more chips in more advanced devices. If you have more 5G, if you have more mobile gaming and so on and so on. Yeah. Is what is one route, and then the other thing, just to say, they say slightly smaller market, but with data centers and with automotive, they they think there's that's gr- that's growing at fifteen percent a year. Their share in data centers is ten percent, so there is a bit of growth. I'm not here to to sell arm shares, by the way. I'd much rather sell arm books. <laughs> but the, I think the, I mean, what what's what's distinctive about the arm technology is that it's 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 very power efficient, and that's what made it popular for the Nokia phones because they were battery powered um, in a way that the, the kind of Intel chips that were designed for a plugged in PC. And, and, and server data center technologies never never was. And uh, everybody wants lower power, especially when you've got these huge cloud computing clusters that are run by Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Facebook. Um, anytime you can squeeze power efficiency from that kind of infrastructure, you save a lot of money and um, ultimately you, you generate less carbon in the process. And so there's a huge incentive on those kinds of companies to do so. And ARM is providing one way of doing that. After a long time of 
trying fairly unsuccessfully, I think, to get into that market. They are now showing significant traction, particularly with Amazon uh, and AWS. But so, yeah, I'm not trying to say that there's not growth potential in that business, um, but because so much of their revenues are dominated by the smartphone market, which at present is going down, um, it just happens to be a fairly poor time for their financial health to be trying to pitch that to investors. They, they can they can try and spin a growth story that may well come true, but it's it's not like they're coming out doubling year on year. No, like you're a, right. Erasing new tech stuff. You absolutely, this is this is not the year to, to float normally, given given uh, given those numbers, but there are various reasons why um, they need to get the shares on the market now, not least SoftBank needs a hit. Well, yeah, so, I mean, do we want to go into the SoftBank story yet or? Well, I, I actually wanted to bring up too, just, you know, the whole idea around there's been so much excitement around artificial intelligence, NVIDIA. What is ARM trying to do there? I mean, can they capitalize on this market? I'm seeing... <laughs> ARM is trying to associate itself with artificial intelligence as much as it can, I think, Tim, isn't it? It's, it's, it's trying. Yeah, it's trying. And I think, I mean, I think that the distinction is it does say it does say that that there are things it can do around artificial intelligence and machine learning. But fundamentally, the chips that it specialises in, the the CPU, which is as I call it, the brains of the outfit, the controllers, is is a very different type of machine to the um, the GPU, the graphics processing unit, which is um, which is uh, much better at doing lots of things in parallel, which is what Nvidia are uh, are specialists in, and what is powering AI. So that's that's a bit of a hard sell. It is. I mean, they 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 have um, a role to play in areas of AI that are not ChatGPT and the large language models that are receiving. You know, OpenAI um, being the canonical example, they're receiving so much hype and excitement at the moment. They 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 play a role in autonomous car systems um, and and this kind of sensing systems that you see there. So there is there is an AI component to them. It's just not the AI component that everyone's very excited about right now. Um, and that may be fine in the long term. Um, yeah. Maybe. Do you see a future for? Well, they they what I mean, where they do play a role is they they have a. Um, it, it's funny there, there's a kind of role reversal in their relationship with Nvidia. Um, in in the iPhone, the, 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 the CPU that James describes that they design is is the main brain of the device. For the kinds of AI. Uh, computers that use NVIDIA's chips. It's NVIDIA that's the kind of main event and, and ARM plays a supporting role. But it, it is there um, and, in, and NVIDIA is integrating it into some of their supercomputer super chips uh, called the Grace Hopper. Um, and so they're, they're there. They're just, they're just not um, going to get anything like the kind of market share or therefore royalties that they've got from smartphones for the last decade or more. Yeah. And I mean, ARM is also kind of in this place of even if they wanted to maybe go down that path, wouldn't they then be competing with NVIDIA, which is one of their customers? I mean, how do they navigate that? Well, um, the ARM model is kind of the, the um, I think they said this before, but I've certainly said it a lot and, and written it a lot, that, you know, the, the Switzerland of semiconductors, you know, they work with the, the one of the secrets to ARM is that they have worked, uh, they work with everyone. So there's more than a thousand partners that, that they would work with. And, and um, they don't um, give preferential treatment to one over another, which is why the uh, potential acquisition by NVIDIA was seen as so um, controversial. And a lot of those other players that we talked about complained to the FTC and the, the deal was never the, the deal was never going to happen I think one of the so one of the issues in that area is um, whether they're whether they're into AI you know or not and there uh, is that they just don't make very much money 
uh, and actually the they 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 are used 30 billion times a year they every time there's a device um that's shipped with one of their designs in them they get a handful of cents but the the challenge for them wow. is to turn that ubiquity into greater profitability and you've got to imagine i think as as they're on that roadshow now that's got to be the the sell to the potential investors we've got this wonderful base um we're just going to get the margins up but that's quite a difficult conversation when you're talking to someone like apple isn't it I mean, Apple more than almost anybody is, is one of the hardest negotiators in the in the tech business, and the relationship with Apple is odd because um, they are by volume one of their biggest customers, but because ARM strikes different licensing agreements with different kinds of customers and actually has a very long-standing licensing agreement with Apple, and Apple does a lot more work to design its own chips than say um, a Chinese handset manufacturer might. Um, they actually get much less of a, of a royalty out of Apple um, for all of the premium pricing of an iPhone um, than they would out of a, you know, an Oppo or a Vivo or a Xiaomi um, that, that sold at a much lower cost. And so um, the, the, there are ways of, of upselling in, within, that, within that business. And there are um, many more customers that are trying to take different kinds of licenses where um, and even potentially to, to, to allow ARM to produce chips for them in part. And, and they are trying to find ways to renegotiate those terms as they go along. But because they're struck over five plus years in many cases, it's, it's quite a slow process wow. to, mm. to kind of move that number up. It's, I, I, is it something yeah. like 1.7% overall was I think the number at their sort of Yes, or I remember, I, 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 don't quote me on this, but it's something like 11 cents on average yeah, per royalty it's, or something. It's, this it's, is not... It's, 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 it's a very, very it's, small amount. It's what Google called the toothbrush, uh, toothbrush industry, isn't it? You sell um, lots of little things and no one notices paying a small amount. So we've been talking, I mean, it's an exciting time for the markets overall. It could spur a lot of um, other IPOs to follow, but at the same time you're saying it could, maybe not be the right time for ARM to list? So why is ARM listing now? Because it's the right time for SoftBank, I think. And why is it the right time for <laughs> SoftBank? So SoftBank bought them uh, for $32 billion in 2016, uh, very, very soon after the Brexit vote and was hailed by the UK government as a great vote of confidence in Brexit Britain at the time, taking one of the crown jewels of British technology out of the public London markets and into private Japanese ownership. Um, make of that what you will. But the SoftBank has also made a lot of other investments over the intervening years, um, particularly through its Vision Fund, which which put a lot of very big checks into a lot of very early stage startups, some of which have gone on to be quite big businesses like Uber, and some of which have gone on to be WeWork. And uh, Quite a lot of them have gone more the way of WeWork or in that direction than 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 growing uh, growing the value of their so investment. And so, which one is, is ARM? A, uh, well, I mean, we will find out when they list. But the, I mean, if they if they get it away at a fifty billion dollar valuation, as is being you know the latest kind of mooted number, then they're on a thirty two billion price. That's that's pretty decent. Um, but they need to they need to not only get some proceeds because ARM won't actually make any money itself from this IPO. Um, SoftBank will make several billion dollars in proceeds by selling down its stake. 
but it can also then borrow against it more easily because it will be a, a you know a more liquid asset. Um, it can sell down that stake in the coming years, uh, ideally in such a way that doesn't tank the share price by putting too many shares on the market at one time. And and it it enables SoftBank to then go on what SoftBank's founder Masayoshi Son has called the counteroffensive after a rather defensive couple of years. And we should say, I mean, I, I would say this is my view, you know, SoftBank is portrayed as this wonderful tech innovator and and, and you could argue that. You could also it's uh, also argue it's quite a financial engineer. You know, Masason is, um, is a magpie investor. He likes shiny things. He buys lots of things. There was a lot of um, concern among investors in 2016 uh, before it bought, before SoftBank bought Arm that, that, that um, SoftBank was was um, overborrowed, and just a couple of weeks before it launched its bid for ARM, it sold its uh, big investment in Supercell, the Finnish computer games company best known for Clash of the Clans. And I think a lot of the messaging around the time was this is all about capital discipline. Three weeks later, $32 billion uh, for ARM. And, and many people are expecting that there might be something similar brewing right now, um, that, that, ARM, um, that SoftBank will have maybe $50 billion to play with and, and once this deal is is done, both in terms of the cash it's already got, the proceeds it'll get, the borrowing it can then take out. And, and that's enough to, you know, pick up a couple of shiny new things. Yeah. Um, I know one other thing with looking through the F1 filing that was covered quite a bit in the FT was uh, ARM's exposure to China. Um, Tim, I wonder if you might want to explain what that is and what the risks or concerns are around I'm glad Tim's answering that. that one. I will explain it as best I can, but it is, uh, there are some conflicting accounts of what is going on mm-hmm. with Arms China business. And uh, even when you uh, take Arms word for it, it's still a little bit confusing. So Arm, uh, under SoftBank ownership, set up a new entity called Arm China. I think in 2017, 2018, where it formed a joint venture with local Chinese investors, as as is often the case with um, companies that do a significant amount of business in China, and and arm many of its biggest customers are Chinese, um, both the smartphone companies and the big cloud computing providers, Alibaba, Tencent. And and so um, whether that was just good politics or another piece of financial engineering by SoftBank um, or, or, or something else. I, I, I don't, I've never fully understood the logic for them going through with that transaction. But it meant that um, they were no longer 100% in control of, well, they were, they were only 50% in control of that business. And then um, the, uh, there was a very curious interlude where the, uh, the CEO of Arm China, Alan Wu, tried to make off with the, um, the, 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 the chop, the chop, can we, yes, the chop, which is the, the, the item which bestows ownership and control of the, of the business of that company. And there've been many, many lawsuits to try and win back control of it, which are so far going in arm and SoftBank's favor, but they are still on appeal. And then at the end of, we're not even quite at the end of that process, but but we are now left with a company in Arm China that is responsible for about a quarter of Arm's total group revenues, but which Arm's management has either neither direct control or ownership or even kind of management board oversight of. Yeah. Um, and so it has to sort of take Arm China's word for what Arm China's revenues are and 
and it has it warns in the in the filing that it it has um, on occasion you know not been uh, what's the phrase that they use I can't find it in my in the past we have had issues obtaining timely and accurate information from Arn China. We believe the underlying problems causing our past inability to obtain such information have been resolved, but we can provide no assurances that our access to Arm China's records will not be inhibited again in the future. Is that something that you as a prospective investor would like to see in a business that's responsible for 25% of your company revenues, I, I guess is, is a question yeah, that, that, that was may my come question. up on the road What yeah. should investors, how should investors think about that? I mean, they should yeah. think very hard about it, yeah. I, I suspect. But then uh, you, you get so you get so many of these warnings about about China. And, and let, let's be clear. I mean, that that situation in China, China has been um, rumbling on for three years. So it's it's not it's not a new thing, and it's not um, it's it's far from being resolved. And of course, we talk about the issues with Arm China, and that means we don't have quite as much time to talk about the fact that Arm is suing one of its biggest companies, uh, Qualcomm, for um, uh, for alleged uh, license breaches. So that that's that's quite a risky thing to do when you're you're trying to uh, raise a sixty billion dollar valuation. Sure, and then and then there's the whole business of the U.S. China chip trade war and lots of sanctions going on there. They're not quite as hard in the firing line as as a company like Nvidia, but they they might be. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, there's quite a lot of uncertainties in the risk factors. They may not be new news to people who've been paying attention to SoftBank's filings for a number of years and, and, and dealings with, with ARM while it's been, uh, under their ownership, but it, 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 you know, it's something that a more, um, should we say conventional fund manager than Masayoshi-san might want to think twice about. If you were cynical, you might say this, this is why the company needs 28 banks to help it, uh, you know, get off, get off well. Yes. Um, so. We should point out also that this is not the first time that ARM has been publicly listed. Um, it was listed uh, for the first time in 1998. Um, and at the time, it was a dual listing both in New York and in London. Um, this time, it is now only listing in New York. Um, I wonder, I mean, obviously, this was just a long time ago, um, many differences in their business and everything. But I wonder if you might kind of want to compare and contrast what what are the biggest differences similarities do, that you see do you see any similarities to the situation that arm is in then versus now or I mean, it's a di- it's a different business i mean the big the big thing they were selling off the back of in in 98 was the um was the nokia phone w- was selling and that nokia phone was so important to them that the um robin saxby who's the ceo at the time spoke to the ceo of nokia and said look um do you mind if we take a picture use a picture of this um of this handset to put it in um the, the prospectus because the investment bankers wanted a bit more sizzle. Mm. Um, and, and because there was that imbalance between mobile telephony between the US and, um, and Europe, Europe was well ahead at the time. These were these you know beautiful little candy bar phones. The US fund managers loved it. They couldn't believe it was you know, so much sleeker than the Motorola at the time. I suppose then you could see there was um, there was potential and there was growth. And in, in mobile, of course, you couldn't imagine that there would be quite that growth because there was the switch from feature to smartphone. And, you know, and also um, uh, many, many more ARM licenses per handset in, in, a, in a smartphone than a, than a feature phone. I think there was also other competitors around at the time. I mean, there were other... Um, similar architecture companies. MIPS was one um, that kind of traced its heritage back to um, Stanford University. And so it wasn't absolutely clear that that ARM was the number one. Whereas you look at now, um, they're talking, there's a great phrase in, in the prospectus. I think they describe themselves now as the brain of everything, uh, which, which I 
I would have considered as the book title, but thought, no, no, I can't use that. So they're now the brain of everything. So they, they've kind of won the market. And that's why they have this challenge about, um, you know, where do they get, where do they get the, the growth from? I mean, the, the, I mean, 1998 was, you know, right in the sort of warming up period of the dot-com boom, dot-com bubble. Um, and, and the whole of the, as James said, the whole of the smartphone, uh, the mobile industry, not just the smartphone, but the whole of the mobile industry growth was ahead of it. We are now immediately off the back of yeah. the latest big smartphone uh, internet boom and bust yeah. I think uh, that we, we were saw talking... in this kind of accelerated pace over COVID. There was just huge yeah. amounts of money coming into the space, which is now really struggling to find a way out. And, um, and, and you know, substantially all of the growth in the smartphone market is is behind them. Yeah. So well, I think I mean, it, it's, to, it's that simple. Yeah. To just to contrast, I know we were talking about earlier just that, as you said, there was a photo of the Nokia phone in their listing back then. This time, how many times is Apple listed in, in the F1 even mentioned? Apple's only mentioned four times. I mean, it's the it's it's yeah. the I, I don't know. They're um, they, you know, maybe a bit shy about it. Um, Apple, but it, a- Apple suppliers have quite a long and venerable relationship of not being able to mention their largest mm, customer. Okay. They often talk on their um, earnings calls about our largest customer without actually naming Apple. Everyone knows that it's Apple. Okay. The analysts know that it's Apple. The investors know that it's Apple. But it's sort of he who shall not be named. And there was a point that which, which, I, which I cover in the book at which Arm was really concerned. There was a time in the uh, in the noughties where we talked about Intel. You know, Intel was and is the great... Um, chip provider to to the PC market, great when products were plugged in, in particular, because it's it, it didn't have the power efficiency of ARM, and, and it and it was trying to catch up in mobile. Um, such a charm offensive with with Apple, it was providing chips um, to the max. I think it was Paul Ottolini who emerged um, onto the stage in the dry ice with it with his bunny suit on at, uh, at one of the Steve Jobs presentations to give him to give him the chip. Um, and there was a point at which. Arm was so unclear about Apple's um, next direction uh, going into a conference call, they thought this was the moment they were getting the kiss off Intel had bought the business. And actually, that was the point when Apple said, no, we want a deeper business with you. We just want to work with you. Um, so I, I think Apple keeps even its closest suppliers guessing. Yes, very much so. But it, it's, it's, it's also because, I mean, Apple is, is one of the world's best chip designers and it needs arm less than many of arms other customers and so i think i think in in many ways arm would rather talk about some of its chinese customers despite the risks um that come along with that than they would about apple and i think that's worth maybe that's worth pointing out that the the industry kind of changed a bit about 15 years ago and apple you know led that change these big tech companies realized that rather than buying chips off the shelf or from intel or from other people to get the the precise specifications they wanted because performance was so important it was chips were too important to leave to the chip companies so apple built um the uh, a custom chip business i mean there's there's more than 4000 chip engineers within apple if apple, i forget the stat exactly but but if um if if that division was a freestanding chip company it might be the third biggest in the world and so what they need what they need as you say that the relationship with arm changed a bit they need the floor plan, but they're very comfortable and building on top of it themselves now. So this listing is happening very soon. Um, Tim, what will you be watching for you and the rest of our colleagues? Well, I think there's, I mean, uh, arms shares popped, what, 46% on their first day of trading in 1998. So, I mean, 
I'd be I'd, I'd be interested to see how it compares to that. Um, I mean, there's certainly a lot of uh, appetite among investors for for a, a big new listing. There's been pent up demand on that basis, but for all of the reasons we've discussed, there may also be caution. It's very hard to see what will happen. But beyond just the you know the share price going up or down on day one, um, I remember Facebook's share price was you know basically flat on day one and ended up doing okay. So we shouldn't overrun index on uh, on these things on the on the first day of trading. But there's also the question of whether some of those big customers that we've talked about come in as anchor investors in the IPO. Uh, I mean, I think it's it's looking extremely likely that Apple, Intel, NVIDIA, Samsung will be among um, those first investors. It's not totally clear what they will be getting for that or how big a stake they will be getting. But um, to James's point earlier, it's in everybody in the industry's interest for Apple to remain, sorry, for ARM to remain somewhat neutral. And uh, and that's if, why if those investors can, are yeah, coming if, if, in. If only to prevent somebody like NVIDIA coming along and buying it up as a public company. But that I think that that could potentially put a floor. I mean, I'd love to see a forty-eight percent pop based on a fifty billion. But that, I'm sure that won't that won't be happening. But I think it's interesting to get those um, uh, cornerstone in, investors in, Tim. But I just wonder they've got a thousand partners, so you're automatically you haven't got one NVIDIA buying the whole shebang, but you have all, all you have um, automatically created the um, the premier level, if you like. So, you know, what do you say to those partners um, that haven't got the equity, but uh, but you're still working with? So it's I think it's quite interesting how those how all of those relationships develop as yeah, they try I mean, and drive up the royalties as well. And as we're speaking now, they haven't they haven't explained about how any of that will will work. There's nothing in the in the filings about about anchor investors or, or strategic investors. I think one thing to say that's that's because you asked me about um, 2023 versus 1998. I mean, in yeah. 1998, um, there were so I, sh- I should say so arm began in a barn eight miles west of Cambridge in uh, 1990. And the people that started it were the bare minimum of people they thought were needed to make this company work um it wasn't and actually the people who had the families and the mortgages thought the better option was to stick with acorn because that was less risky um but the the guys and they were all guys that 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 went into the arm venture um a lot of uncertainty uh, they were pretty much all millionaires as of um, end of april 1998 um there were 30 millionaires created almost immediately in in uh, in in arm and um i think you will see Potentially, the cars in the car park getting a little bit bigger. You know, once again, when when the sh- when the shares list this time, not just in Cambridge, there's still almost half the staff in Cambridge, but also over on the west coast. Got it. Um, well, with that, we're close to our time. Money is hosted by me, Michaela Tendera. Safia Ahmed is our producer. Topher Forges is our executive producer. Sound design and mixing by Sam Giovinco. Our intern is Monique Malima. Cheryl Brumley is the global head of audio. Thanks for listening. Hi, this is Matt and Sean from Two Black Guys with good credit. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. 
By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America, N.A., copyright 2024.